Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. And this is Abby Martin. How's it going, everybody? It's been a while since we did our last episode. Um, because Partly because Abby's been in Venezuela uh, working on a pretty awesome Empire Files report. Um, pretty much one of the only journalists that I've seen on the ground at the protests in Venezuela, um, which is quite a shame that there's so much slanted media coverage coming out here in the U.S. about Venezuela, and almost all of it that I've seen is secondhand. There's no, like, on-the-ground original reporting being done by American journalists, so um, really have to commend Abby for doing this and spending so much time there and actually trying to get an accurate picture of what's happening there on the ground. And you went into it with an open mind. You weren't, like, you know, super pro-Venezuelan government or anything like that you just you just wanted to report accurately on what you saw so um I'm really glad you did that and uh I can't wait to see what you guys put out but um yeah. today let's just kind of talk about you know we'll give a preview basically to what your empire empire files report's going to be and go over everything you saw there and how it differed from U.S. media coverage and you know uh, seeing it from outside the lens of the propaganda. Um, so yeah, like just tell me a little bit about how this opportunity uh, came to you mm-hmm. and why you decided to do it. And um, yeah, like just give a little backstory to how the actual trip took place. So I've always obviously known that Chavez was a target of U.S. imperialism, capitalism for very obvious reasons. I think Bush um, really started that fervor against him um, and it just continued from there. And I I had known about the political pressure that was mounting against the country and it just seems like every couple of years this this story has resurrected this narrative of, of these protests on the ground and they're trying to oust the quote dictatorship of, of Maduro slash Chavez, right? So whatever, I never was fully invested in it. I mean, I always obviously questioned it because of like every other leader um, pinpointed by U.S. imperialism, there's obviously a reason, right? It's usually the last independent sovereign states that are bucking the U.S. empire or our wars um, or our program of global domination in terms of financial capital. So. I, I had always just kind of questioned the narrative, but I never really invested in it. And and Telesaur, um, which is who buys my show now, is a conglomerate um, of different state networks in Latin and South America. So Venezuela is one of these entities that um, does buy the Empire Files. Um, unlike RT, I, I have no boss. I, Mike and I um, and our editor, we submit the episodes. We create whatever we want. We have no one that consults with us whatsoever about what we're doing or anything. And then all of a sudden, the protests popped off again, um, where we're hearing just the craziest news ever about, you know, a a totalitarian dictatorship murdering unarmed protesters in the street, and the economy's at at complete collapse. It's just this this horrible example of a failure of communism, right? And how Maduro has just seized all power and has become a complete dictator. And, you know, I was getting very worried. Um, I, you know, all we see 
is one side. That's all I've ever seen. Yeah. And it's extremely vitriolic. And it's not like I thought, oh, it's all true, but I did see the images, of course, how could you not, of these perfectly edited videos of, of this, what it seemed like was horrible repression against these quote-unquote peaceful protesters. Um, but I guess I have a scorched earth policy with wherever I go, because just like Israel, um, at the end of the trip, I was labeled a government spy and uh, basically kicked out by fascists. So this is this seems to be a trend now, <laughs> with going and trying to report on a situation and, and essentially being like blacklisted from the country. So it I guess you're opposite. doing something right. <laughs> it was the opposite this time because when you went to Israel, the government accused you of being a spy. Totally. Um, and then now the opposition or seemingly what appears to be people who support the opposition it's hard to tell over twitter a lot of it you know seemed like most of them live in the united states um are accusing you of being a spy and it actually stemmed from one guy who is like a famous academic who is like an opposition academic. in the u.s in the in venezuela oh in That's venezuela where the rumor just got created by this one guy interesting and we'll get into that later but it it, it was just the most mind-blowing turn of events um and, and really what I saw there was like the butterfly effect. It was like something that just a completely alternate reality mm-hmm. than what I thought that I would see. Oh, you mean you mean the situation on, on the, the ground, ground versus yeah. the media coverage totally. here? Yeah, I mean, so we know that the U.S. has wanted a regime change there for, you know, ever since the Bush administration, um, ever since... I don't think Bush included Venezuela in the axis of evil, but he, I mean, he pretty much he did. Almost, yeah, he might as well have. I mean, that's that's what I remember from the time. Um, and there was actually talk of regime change in Venezuela in the media back then as well. I mean, I think even the New York Times ran an editorial saying that, because uh, what, describe really quickly that coup situation. I don't know very much about that. Where yeah, Chavez well, first, was actually ousted. Briefly. Sure. So first I, we need to understand what Venezuela was like, because when you look up like Venezuela before Chavez, what Chavez did to Venezuela, it's just like a hundred percent agitprop saying that Venezuela was this thriving economic bastion of, of like oil, you know, uh-huh. and this rich country. And then Chavez just destroyed this country. Completely <laughs> false. So Venezuela, like every other country in the entire region, was just completely ravaged by colonialism, empire, neoliberalism. Um, you know, it had it had centuries of colonial rule um, and then a brutal dictatorship until about the 50s and until there was a coup and then like actual some semblance of democracy got instated in the country where. But again, they didn't have like any sort of leftist um, sort of ideology or, or parties until um this guy, Carlos Perez, who became president in his second term in 1989. So until then, it was just kind of like the average, like strong men, you know, under like pseudo democratic rule, like backed by U.S. interests, Western interests. Very average story throughout this entire um, region. So Carlos Andres Perez became president in 1989. And what he did to the bidding of, of Western interests was immediately accept a huge IMF loan. And what the IMF does, as we all know, is just guts all like social spending, creates an, an enormous debt that essentially keeps these countries in debt to to first the first world and, and capitalist powers and everything and 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 makes them capitulate to insane um, standards that just like completely denigrate the economy and and social fabric of the society, et cetera. So 
of course, when this happened, and it was so insanely giant, this giant thing that he took from the IMF, it immediately seized the economy. Um, gas prices doubled, um, you know, all goods skyrocketed, and it caused a massive spontaneous rebellion of people in Caracas specifically, which is the capital. And in 1989, after this was happening, that people were totally protesting in the street, the government massacred up to 4,000 people. Like militarized security forces went in the street and actually just gunned down peaceful protesters. Holy shit! So this is a this is a massacre that no one really talks about. It was called the Caracaso, and it was an uprising February twenty seventh, nineteen eighty nine. Um, this repression, this brutal military repression, is what convinced Chavez at the time, who was a strong military man, um, very high up in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much all he knew was kind of the military mind. He saw this brutal repression and he was like, oh my God, we need to overthrow the government. In 1992, um, Chavez and his, his colleagues, his comrades or whatever, tried to carry out a coup. They tried to carry out a military action in order to take over the presidential palace, but they were attacked as soon as they were approached. They were probably already like spied on and stuff. I mean, they probably already knew exactly what they were trying to do. So they had spies inside of Chavez's movement and he was immediately arrested. So uh, amazingly, um, he gave this speech that everyone talks about where he says the coup failed for now. He was like, the revolution failed for now. And everyone remembers that like, like he was just kind of like being like, uh, you know, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to come again. Uh-huh. And he got arrested. He put, got put in jail, but he was so popular. Like he became a revolutionary hero. This figurehead that was so undeniably popular that every single candidate that ran for office had to take a stand to say that they would free him from jail like people were protesting outside of the jail it was like the number one political issue of like when is Chavez going to be freed and so he eventually was because they actually felt like he was more of a threat in jail than out and so he gets out of jail and uh, he was pardoned um, in 1994 because of this mass support. In 1999, he finally won a presidential election. He created this popular kind of leftist coalition called the PSUV. And it was hugely popular. I mean, he won with like over 60% of the vote. And it was in a way higher turnout than like you could say about any other, you know, like any election really in the US. I mean, it was just an incredible uprising of people who were completely moved by this man. And when he was going along the barrios and trying to respond to people's needs and stuff, he he became more socialist and he was like, the poor people need to be lifted out. He was like, Mm -hmm. these poor people in Venezuela have never had a voice. There's tens of millions of people who have never been able to voice what they want and need and they've just been completely absent. So when he won, he kind of came out with this widespread socialist agenda with a massive wealth redistribution. It was kind of a socialist revolution, but still in the confines of a capitalist economy. There was never, the economy was never completely seized. Like he still was allowing a lot of private enterprise and, and capital to, to work, et cetera. So, um, so yeah, and then, and then, you know, and then you go to the coup. So after Hugo Chavez won this popular election and he's, you know, wildly popular and he's and he's doing all these crazy sweeping programs. 2002, the opposition just kidnapped him. 
they literally kidnapped Chavez and sent him to like a hotel. Like this is all completely by the backing of the U.S. The New York Times, you can read the article. It says that a distinguished businessman is like now president of Venezuela. <laughs> and they, what the opposition tried to tell the people of Venezuela was that Chavez just resigned. <laughs> They're like, you know what? He just resigned. He's, he, he, it's all good. And everyone was like, what? Like everyone was just like, oh my God, how could this happen? That's like, insane. What's going on? And here's how it didn't work. Because Chavez was friends with the military and the military went to Chavez because they were being told by the opposition, like arrest him. He's resigned, like bring him here. And they were just like, dude, did you resign? And Chavez was like, no, (laughs) reinstate me. I did not resign. (laughs) And so the military, it's almost like it almost like never would have worked if he didn't come from the military because it's really and this always happens. It's like if the military isn't behind the coup, it's usually unsuccessful. So. That was the big coup attempt in 2002 that that they tried to actually just kidnap him out of the country. And when the people realized that they just tried to usurp their entire democratic rule and and kidnap their leader and pretend like he resigned, I mean, there was like a huge backlash and it just strengthened the PSUV. And over the next, I mean, over the next 14 years, I mean, up until basically he died, they won 15 out of 16 national elections with about 20% margin of victory. I mean, that's how enormously popular this movement was. And he called it the Bolivarian Revolution because it was kind of a resurgence of Simon Bolivar, which was like this famous independence freedom fighter that that freed Venezuela from Spain, um, from the colonial shackles of Spain. So, So it's almost like he wasn't trying to declare a new movement under his name. He was like, I'm just trying to continue this independence from colonialism mm-hmm. and, and neoliberalism and it's just incredible robbie um what they have been doing to him ever since because just like cuba i mean we know what what happened to cuba it's like even under this crippling economic blockade um you know they still have 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 done just incredibly revolutionary things in terms of healthcare and literacy and you know, we, we like to obfuscate the reality on the ground of, of when these countries buck global capitalism, but it's incredible what happened under his rule. I mean, we hear today that, that you know, Chavez destroyed the country, really. I mean, he redu- poverty fell 43 to 26%, extreme poverty under 7% when it used to be like almost 20. Social services skyrocketed to like 60% spending, um, and then, of course, there's the housing projects, which, you know, 1.6 million people to date have free, high-quality apartments. I went into one, and it has, like, high-quality new appliances, refrigerator, washing machine. I was just like, what? This is insane. It's just insane to think that all of these things are just unknown to the vast majority of Americans. Yeah. Well, because every, every socialist or communist... Um country is portrayed as having like like being like totally destitute conditions where you have like nothing to eat you don't have toilet paper i mean that's all the media coverage has been saying here about venezuela that bread lines and no toilet paper it's like they're trying to like evoke the same type of stuff they would say about the soviet union i mean i remember when i was in elementary school some guy came in and like i was I don't know how I was smart enough to know it was propaganda, but <laughs> like I must have been like nine or ten, and I don't even remember who, who, where he was from. But like we, he made us watch a video of like the Soviet Union and why it collapsed, um, and it like just show it was just all about like bread lines and stuff. That is so weird. And what uh, a weird way to truncate that down. To well, like- the bread lines thing was like the main talking point, like before the fall of the Berlin Wall. 
Like I remember that as a kid, like that was, that was it. It's like, if you're waiting in line for bread. So, but yeah, there's all these, there's just all these weird things here, the way they portray Venezuela. Like they'd never talk about things like free healthcare or free housing, you know, or if they do, they'd act like it's only given to people who are actually rich and it's only given to the elites or something. Yeah. And like, like when I went to Cuba and did my reports, people were just like, oh, but like, it's total shit. Like, do you, and I was just like, I went inside hospitals. Like, you cannot tell me that I did not (laughs) see these things. It's like, you can say all the bullshit that you want and try to like diminish the fact that there's free healthcare for everyone. And that Cuba was the first country in the world to eliminate like mother to to child transmission of HIV. I mean, these are incredible accomplishments. Uh And that's what happens when you invest in like people instead of just war and death. And I mean, it's just really sad. The propaganda sticks so strongly that you can actually just show people facts and photos and this, and they just still are like, I'd rather pay for healthcare. It's like, okay. Or like, I don't want free healthcare because that's socialism. You're like, all right, man. I mean, you can always get a good gauge of where our foreign policy really is at. Like when you, if you go to the post office a lot, because (laughs) I mean, it'll say very explicitly when you try to mail things internationally, um, you know, the only things you're allowed to send to Iran are these things, or you can't, you know, you can't send anything to Syria or Cuba. And it's always like four countries, Venezuela, Cuba, Syria, and Iran. They're always like listed as like, so what kind of sanctions are ha- are happening? Do you remember, or do you know when those were like put in place against Venezuela and why? Good, good question. I remember years ago um, when I quit RT. Obama had deemed Venezuela, oddly enough, like a huge national security threat, like based on nothing. It was like very surreal. And I remember... Was this after Chavez died? Yeah, this was after Chavez died. And it was like when it was... It was just a random as hell assertion. And I remember thinking it had no basis. And that's when he also slapped more sanctions. I mean, they keep saying that the sanctions are on these wealthy narco terrorists, you know, in, in the government. And I don't believe that at all. I mean, obviously, there's a huge blockade assisted by u.s um capital interests that are restricting food imports and and creating these insane price gouging and when i explain a little bit about how the economy works you'll you'll understand more about how sinister what they're doing really is um because again to us it seems like oh it's just this crazy failed communist state where there's bread lines and rations and people are waiting in line for like their daily gruel but really it is a huge economic war waged from you know from capitalists versus socialists in the country then it never has stopped and it's just exacerbating and getting worse and it's helped out by the u.s by the sanctions by um the currency manipulation by the oil dependency. I mean, OPEC sets production. That's why oil has dropped so dramatically and Venezuela like lost all of its money um, because they're relying on this third party that sets the production, you know, for, for oil. So yeah, it's, it is amazing though. When, when you, when you really dissect the propaganda and then especially when you're there, it's, it's undeniable that most of it's just fake. So, if you really want to boil it down, Venezuela is one of the only countries in the world that's not completely beholden to like the rest of the world's capitalist rules and system that has like vast oil supply. So like that alone puts it in the crosshairs of like just the, the capitalist machine and globally. I mean, because 
at least Cuba managed to sever itself, you know, even by necessity, all the sanctions and the blockades against it to be like completely isolated. And like their country probably, you know, just by its nature of like how it's evolved, it's not, uh, it doesn't get like, it doesn't have those ebbs and flows because there's nothing capitalist about it. I mean, as right. far as like, they don't have like a resource that they ha- that's like dependent on the global market totally. to totally. make their country survive. So it is unfortunate that, yeah, I mean, Venezuela is in a very unique and like risky position, not just domestically, but also globally. And it's not even because of the socialism. Right. It's like because they're rejecting the rest of the global system and they have oil like resources that they need to keep their country afloat, like to sell. Totally. It's 90%, really, really interesting. Over 90% of their entire GDP, I, I even think it's higher now. Um, is based on oil and this is the biggest problem if and there's huge problems with Venezuela and huge problems with what they've done with the economy or what they haven't done rather and that's diversification I mean of course you cannot rely on the global market and of course you know that you're going to be in the crosshairs of course you know that there's a vast array of problems that are going to come with this heavy reliance on oil and I asked Correa, President Correa of Ecuador, the same thing. I was like, what is the long-term strategy here? Like, you guys are depending on oil, which is not only polluting, it, it, it's depending on, on the capitalist system and stuff. And he was just like, we're going to extract every drop of oil as long as we can feed the poor. And I think that's what Venezuela thought too. It was more of a priority to them to ex- wildly expand social services instead of diversifying their economy and trying to gr- create an agricultural system, lessen the dependence on foreign imports, which is really the vast majority of their food. And it's total. And look what happened. It's like, and because of this dependence on oil, um, they they have the one of the most insane black markets in the entire world, where you can exchange a dollar. Um, and make and and make like five or six times the amount. It's like five or six times the amount on the black market that a dollar is worth. So you can basically exchange twenty dollars and get a hundred dollars, which is worth over a month minimum wage to an average Venezuelan person. Okay, so let let's go back to the the basis of the economy. So people think it's like completely you know centrally planned. Um, just like the Soviet Union or whatever, and it's like a total failure, and that's why there's rations and stuff. It's actually private, state, and communal. It's it's a mix of of all three, and they never wanted to eliminate private business. I mean, to the detriment or not uh, of the government, they wanted to always in, be inclusive in having private capital. Of course, obviously, with an economy based on over 95% of oil, it's hard to just you know shut out capitalism altogether, as you're saying, like Cuba did. Because um, you're relying on on interacting with the global marketplace, but the main thing that you hear now is like they have no toilet paper, they have no um, flour. It's like you can't find these basic um, amenities or commodities that that everyone needs for their daily lives, right? And it's it's usually like humiliating things, you know, toilet paper. It makes you think of people who are like in Haiti, um, defecating on the street because they they're just living in complete destitution you know and so you may it makes you think of like people you know eating out of the trash i mean i see this all the time people are eating out of the trash in venezuela and they can't they're writing for toilet paper i mean go to skid row you want to see people eating out of the trash i mean every every country in the world that has any modicum of poverty people will 
dumpster dive like that I, I actually didn't see it there i'm sure it happens but to actually like pinpoint that as like the main problem of and use the poor as some sort of scapegoat about why we need foreign intervention is fucking insane because the poor people are not the ones rioting in the streets or complaining about the government that's for damn sure um, and then when you look into the shortages it's like okay why is it that toilet paper is not found um yet when i and i went to like 10 different supermarkets and there's you know kleenex paper towels like every other paper product you could possibly want but it's like why is it that toilet paper specifically is being withheld and and you start to realize that there is a huge propaganda war like these products are purpose purposefully um either hoarded or like taken out completely because maduro set price caps on them because of the currency manipulation and so these private entities, corporations and importers were like, we are not going to sell these products because we're going to lose money on them. So when you read like economic, you know, Forbes and, and all these like different economic newspapers here that are talking about Venezuela, they blame the socialist policies on like preventing corporations from being able to make money. So it's almost like they're admitting that it's the corporations who are pulling their products out and like refusing to participate mm -hmm. in importing them. But they like are blaming, of course, socialism for that which is just dumb and feel also free to like ask i feel like i just rattled off on a bunch of stuff that might have been really confusing no it's not confusing okay. i mean maduro's government has accused um of there being like actual operations where they're using foreigners from other countries surrounding venezuela to go into the country and then buy certain goods off the shelves and then leave um, I mean, that's been an actual ac accusation he's leveled. I mean, but it's hard to tell. Like, it's a lot of this is, you know, if this is being done, I mean, we have to assume on some level that regime change and an exacerbation of the opposition movement is happening on some level by the U.S. government. Like, that's not a conspiracy. That's not even paranoid to assume that's happening. We just don't know exactly how it's happening. And the Maduro government will throw out these accusations where it's like, they not necessarily offering any proof from them. So it's like hard to tell if they're valid, you know, like Maduro accused several people from the opposition actually being like CIA agents. And maybe he's right, but it's like, you know, I mean, they're getting I mean, paid by the U S the U S yeah. gives the opposition like $5 million well, yeah, that's, a year. Of course. Yeah. And so then that exchanges to $20 million mm -hmm. in the black market. And so mm -hmm. how much does that take you in Venezuela? And a lot of it's to social media accounts, pro-democracy movements, and here's another thing that that they're doing they they sabotage any attempts at getting foreign loans so like opposition members will anytime that venezuela tries to get bailed out or a loan from an international bank this is why this goldman sachs thing is such a propaganda talking point now from the opposition is that they go and will lobby them and say don't because they want to seize the economy more because mm -hmm. it's better for them they have no plan that and really what this comes down to is that the opposition does not have a viable alternative plan to a save the economy and b like do anything that that would benefit the poor at all it's the complete opposite but yeah i mean it's hard it's hard to to tell like you know is it is it hyperbolic like how many we obviously know that there's regime change efforts just like in cuba um i, I think that the the structure is definitely weaker in venezuela and it's been a lot more successful yeah. um, especially with this capital manipulation where there have been instances where warehouses have been found with toilet paper like fucking an entire warehouse full of toilet yeah, paper that's yeah. been hoarded um there's a private company called polar that has the beer like makes its own beer in venezuela and that actually 
they've been it's been determined that up to 40 percent of the products in the country could also be like extracted for smuggling so it's hard to tell like is this just being sold on the black market like is it so these companies are just trying to make Mm -hmm. more money by selling these products in the black market or are they purposely trying to undermine maduro on behest of like global capitalism and u.s forces i mean it's probably a little bit of both well, but it's an reminds- easy scapegoat to just be like, we can't make money, so we have to just like sell all of our products in the black market, which in turn creates even greater inflation, and yeah. it's just a circular nightmare. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting that you know, at a certain point, and we, and we should probably go into that your actual trip there mm-hmm. shortly, but um, you know, if the opposition movement in Venezuela grew to the point where there were actually like armed rebels you know like taking over seizing parts of venezuela on behalf of the opposition then the u.s will obviously enter at that point and start directly funneling something into them i mean that's the part that i think gets lost in a lot of this is like yeah a lot of this we can't prove and like explain and break down for you the exact ways in which this is happening but like the u.s's behavior is textbook i mean they do they've done this for decades and decades it's not um and especially when you think about the exxon ceo now being the secretary of state i mean it's like (laughs) it is just it's yeah venezuela unfortunately is going to be under u.s pressure on some form or another for as long as it doesn't join up with like the rest of the global system and that's like the that's the sad part is any country that doesn't all of a sudden either you know they have something going on in their country that it will allow for western intervention at some point yeah i mean it reminds me of the arab spring in a way a lot of the things you're describing because like even a lot of people on the left you know not i wouldn't even call them Mm -hmm. lefties were saying that oh it's a conspiracy theory to suggest that the cia is involved well yeah maybe it's a conspiracy theory to say that the cia is behind the entire arab spring but at a certain point when it's like if Twitter itself could be driving the Arab Spring, you don't think the CIA and the U.S. intelligence was all over the goddamn social media networks, like flooding them with, you know, stuff that would encourage the like Arab Spring? Of course they were. I mean, that you don't even really have to prove that. Like the, if they wouldn't be doing that, they're idiots. Right. I mean, and look what yeah, happened. What the with, hell else are they spending their money yeah. on? <laughs> and look what would happen with Libya. I mean, as soon as that tipped to a certain point we didn't even wait for an organic thing to happen there we just went we started funding the rebels and we let them take out Gaddafi and then gave them air cover with nato bombing so and that happened very very fast like it didn't think we seemed like we really cared all that much about libya before that right you know and it's just like boom it's and then Gaddafi's gone it's like so I mean, I'm not saying that's going to happen with Venezuela, but it could. I mean, it really actually could. Well, and that's why you see it reaching such a pressure point right now is because for the first time in 16 years, the opposition under the umbrella MUD, that's the opposition party. It's a conglomerate of different parties, just like the PSUV. But Mm -hmm. they, for the first time, won the majority of seats in the National Assembly. And a brief, brief timeline of the opposition. Um. We talked about the coup in 2002, but I didn't explain actually what happened in that coup, which was people like Leopoldo Lopez who are in jail. Uh um, And this is what you hear. Political prisoners, release the political prisoners. It's really people who have like actually engaged in like terrorist activities and and murderous 
opposition activities that have killed people in mass. Yeah. This guy, as part of the opposition, staged a march, um, countered by a pro-government march, and basically opposition snipers started killing people from like towers on this bridge that I was at. It was extremely powerful. Um, then that's when they kidnapped Chavez, and they and they were actually claiming that like you know members of the government were like killing people when really it came out that that opposition snipers were were killing yeah. people in the crowd. Fifty people died. Um, so that was that first coup where they kidnapped him. But this is just the first of many coup attempts. I mean, they have continued to try to oust him. They have never stopped because these are people who were not used. I mean, like imagine it's like the the vitriolic hatred against leftists right here in this country. And you see this current around the world of of fascistic neo-fascism taking over neo-Nazism, gaining a lot of ground in European parliaments and all this stuff. We see it here with the Trump alt-righters. But imagine having like, it's like the hatred for leftists and imagine actually leftists taking over yeah. and then that hatred just fomenting and, 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 and they just can't, they couldn't handle it. They never could because really at their core, they hate poor people and they don't want to fucking redistribute their wealth. It's very simple. So they just kept trying to do coups, um, multiple coup attempts, 2013, 2014, another U.S. backed um, funded coup scheme was uncovered. 2015, another coup attempt was uncovered. This time, a retired Venezuelan Air Force guard and 10 civilian opposition figures were arrested because they were planning on bombing the presidential palace, the National Assembly, Telesor. Holy shit. And the defense ministry and on like, and, and they got caught and they all like basically confessed that this was going to happen. Isn't that amazing? So it just has never stopped. Um, in 2014 was when the last time, when I just said a couple years ago, I remember Obama declared Venezuela this extraordinary threat that was on the cusp of those protests again, where mm -hmm. Jared Leto at the Oscars was like, I stand with the people of Ukraine and Venezuela, uh -huh. super on the wrong side of history, because uh -huh. he sees fucking protests and thinks that that's great and that yeah. all protests are good. And so it was around this time that this coup was uncovered that they were gonna bomb the shit out of all these government buildings, et cetera. So, and then in 2015 was when the opposition won for the first time um, parliamentary elections. And so, so you ask, okay, so what have they done since winning? It's like, have they instated any sort of legal action to try to restore the economy? Have they done anything um, for the poor, you know, the poor that they love to scapegoat as having no toilet paper and rioting for food? No, instead they focused all of their energy on A, amnesty for all the people involved in coup attempts, like literal coups uh -huh. <laughs> to try to oust a democratically elected government, uh -huh. amnesty for terrorists, two, recalling the president, Unfortunately, Chavez, when he rewrote the Constitution, did a really dumb thing and included an amendment that you can have a referendum to recall the fucking president. At so, any of time. course, they're going to do that. Yeah. So they've tried to do that, which at first, like the first step is like ca gathering all these signatures and shit. Basically, they haven't done it in in um, in accordance with whatever the referendum was, but they're using that as saying Maduro's not letting us recall him. Yeah, and um, we didn't totally mention that insane. either, that Chavez died in 2013 and Maduro was the vice president totally who totally. took his place and unfortunately and I and a lot of people actually think that Chavez was killed by weaponized cancer um, yeah. I don't know I haven't looked at the evidence behind that but a lot of like actually really credible people believe that the that he was offed yeah I mean he died CIA. at a very convenient time yeah right I mean but then you know yeah it's like and what else was I going to say I mean the so Maduro's literally only been in office for four years, but yet 
he's a dictator. Like the way that the media represents him here is that he's a dictator because he. And then this is what Wikipedia says, mm-hmm. so it could be you know completely biased, but it says that he like called off and canceled the legal process for the referendum. And then that's like why he's like essentially that's why the U.S. media is calling him a dictator because he uses presidential powers to shut down something that was in the law. I mean, I don't even know if that's true, but if that's why they're calling him a dictator, it's like such a. I mean, wouldn't you say that's a gross exaggeration of like? Yeah. Well, yeah, and it doesn't make any sense. Like when I talk to opposition opposition people and protesters, like they would all be like, "We live in a dictatorship, and we want early elections." And I was like, "So." do you live in a dictatorship or do you live in a democracy and you just want to call early elections? You don't want to, they're having a presidential election next year. There's regional elections coming up this year. There's like elections every year. Yeah. Um, the Jimmy Carter Center, which has studied over 90 different countries' elections and their democratic participation. And he actually in 2005 said that Venezuela had the freest <laughs> the freest. Can you fucking imagine? The freest, according to Jimmy Carter. So it's just a little bit amazing. It's it's hard to wrap my mind around the fact that these people are actually hysterically claiming they live in a totalitarian dictatorship. It's like, dude, stop. I mean, you have legitimate grievances, but to claim that you live in a totalitarian dictatorship because Maduro... And, and and also they're claiming that it's a dictatorship because the Supreme Court keeps overturning their bullshit attempts to A, give amnesty to all these coup leaders, two, recalling the president, which they didn't do within the proper referendum rules, which is also, according to the Constitution, unconstitutional, the way that they're trying to do it. Yeah. So they keep using the Constitution as this vehicle to be like, he's he's you know not following the constitution it's like no you didn't follow the constitutional parameters to actually yeah. try to do this insane recall and their other main mission is privatization of the mission vivienda those 1.6 million homes that were given to poor people that's like the three things that they've tried to do all overruled by the supreme court which they're saying is also dictatorial that how dare they not be able to legislate these crazy things that would mm-hmm. completely unravel the last 16 years of venezuela because Maduro's a dictator and the Supreme Court is in the pockets of the dictator. So well, it's, it's, it, sh- it really does lay bare their actual agenda. Well, yeah, and it's really funny, too, because a lot of this reminds me of the Ukraine uprising and, and the Euromaidan movement and you know that, that ended up taking out the government there, and then the opposition took over. It's like there was never any honest media coverage here about like what the opposition there actually believed in and why they were good it was just like the you know the current ukrainian government bad evil the opposition good right and then like years later then u.s media outlets finally started to acknowledge like some of the more honest reporters were like you know wait these are nazis the opposition (laughs) yeah the opposition's working with neo-nazis you know they're they're actually collaborating with the azov battalion some of the actual government people that were put in and and in, in, in this coup are actual neo-nazis like it's not even that they're collaborating with neo-nazi militias they literally have neo-nazis like as mayors as representatives for the new opposition government all over ukraine um and then on top of that they're trying to just like censor anything having to do with Ru- like russia and then they're also ridiculously fucking corrupt like they've already been caught laundering tons of money, ordering hits on people, assassinations, um, 
committing war crimes. I mean, we still don't really know what happened. And I'm not trying to defend they Russia. Burned, MH17. I oh, mean, yeah. No, totally. The fact that... They burned you, buildings with people in it. Well, yeah. Lot. I mean, it was insane. And we hardly saw any of that over here. And I mean, even MH17. Why did the Ukrainian air traffic controllers allow that plane to fly into their airspace? Were they trying to bait Russian separatists into shooting it? I don't even know if the Air, Ukrainian Air Force didn't shoot it down. I really don't know what happened there. So there's all, I mean, and, and the only reason I bring this up is because of Venezuela, if the opposition does end up taking over, this is exactly the way the media here will present it. That opposition will be portrayed as being great, good, um, that the government in place was corrupt and that the opposition is like honest and honorable. And then we just won't hear about it for years because if these are their grievances, then obviously they're not going to be any better or i mean it sounds like they're going to be far worse if these are their actual grievances and that's what it comes down to privatize free housing and shit that's what it comes down to is it's like going to be a massive fire sale to bankers yeah it's going to be a complete capitulation of u.s empire and a complete privatization of their entire economy i mean it's extremely simple and it could actually result in a brutal crackdown on poor people pinochet style um and a lot of people that i talked to were extremely critical of maduro i i i wanted to go in there with a leftist critique because obviously the government has screwed up a lot in terms of their economic development and their planning and everything and what and the biggest thing that i took away was even if you criticize maduro even if you feel like they're not doing all they can the alternative is so bad they almost described it like syria they were just like it's kind of like syria where it's like it's not even that people love Assad. It's like, we cannot allow ISIS to take over. It's literally like on the last legs of some sort of like free state right now. Because if the opposition takes over, it could turn into a Pinochet style dictatorship. I mean, crime is so bad in the country. And that's by far the worst part of Venezuela is crime is so fucking horrible. It's like the most dangerous country in in the entire world outside of a war zone and when you compare that to cuba which is one of the safest countries in the western hemisphere that also had like this kind of social revolution you ask yourself how is one country so different Mm -hmm. and so safe and then venezuela is so fucked up and that's another problem it's like they they these armed collectivos and this open border with colombia and all these like paramilitary gangs that now control these different neighborhoods and and run you know narco trafficking and guns into venezuela and again you can't even look at that without looking at u.s imperialism and what we've done to colombia mm-hmm. you know and, and what we still are doing to colombia i mean we have multiple military bases there that are helping control that region so it's nothing's happening in a vacuum but yeah i mean what i the main takeaway was even leftists who were hardcore diehard chavistas still said even though we have disagreements with Maduro, we cannot let the opposition win. Yeah. And that's where they're at right now. Well, it's like, it's like, yeah, I don't want Hillary Clinton to win, you know, and right. like get us into a war with Russia. But look, what, look what's happened when the opposition <laughs> to that has taken over. It's right. like actually in some ways more scarier than I ever imagined it would right. be. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, like yeah. It's, it really puts things into perspective um, when you put it that way because... Yeah, there might be p- totally normal grievances, but it's like the way the media portrays it here is it's this opposition is is good and they're being oppressed and killed in the streets. And should we talk about what's really happening? Of course, yeah. yeah. Let's. I mean, we haven't even talked at all yeah. about your experience yeah, there. Totally. So all I asked you so far was yeah. 
<laughs> how you got this trip arranged. Right. But I mean, so you got there when? I just got back essentially like five days ago. So yeah. pretty recently returned. And what you were saying before about like journalists on the ground, I didn't see one journalist out there. Every single article that I've read is just like plucking quotes from opposition leaders and just regurgitating like the same numbers and figures and, and whatnot. So. And you went there just with Mike uh, as part of your staff? Um, yeah. So what was your, you know, in case anybody, you know, just to like clear the air of anybody who's listening to this, who's like, you know, Abby works for Telesaur and she's, you know, going to Venezuela. What was your actual contact with like any government officials there? And like, what, you know, how did you make sure they weren't going to like interfere in any way with your coverage? Because it seemed like it was like very, very hands off. Oh yeah. It's like describing to me. Yeah. I mean, I basically, we gave them a list of everything that we wanted to get. Uh-huh. From um, them, like from interviews them. with them. And yeah, stuff. and that's yeah. that's basically how it works with them. It's like we just tell them, like, we want to interview this person, this person, this person. Yeah. Can you help us to get these people? Um, so I did interview multiple government officials, and here's the most amazing thing. I could ask them whatever the hell I wanted. I was asking insanely hard questions. Like, I, I interviewed the guy basically under Maduro, this guy Padrino, who's, like, the head of the armed forces there. And I was, like, confronting him about everything. Like, why the fuck is the military in charge of food distribution now like why like holding up this newspaper that said like the blood is on your hands i was like what do you what do you have to say to this like do you you know it says that you're gonna be charged with crimes against humanity like do you have any response it's like i can't even imagine at any other publication being able to interview government officials and not even have someone be like hey what are you gonna ask them it's like I could have asked them anything at all. <laughs> and the same with Correa, too. I mean, I interviewed the president of Ecuador twice, and no one even bothered to be like, can I see your questions? Like, oh, no, don't ask this. It's like, considering how vetted everything on American media is, and like with every single government official, yeah, it's just stunning. It was stunning to have that level of freedom. So it's like, yes, I did interview government officials, because we, of course we wanted to. I put in several, several requests to interview opposition leaders. Like anyone from the National Assembly, I would I would take anyone. Like no one from the opposition would talk to me. And I really, really wanted their voice because I wanted to ask them, what the hell is the plan? Like, but you did let's talk lay to it some out. of them. No, I know. I talked to protesters. You didn't talk to leaders. I didn't of the talk opposition. to leaders. Yeah. yeah. And I really wanted to because I did, you know, here I'm talking to yeah. government officials, confronting them about what I'm reading in the news. And it would have been a really balanced, great report Maybe if it someone was all gave political me an interview. For them. Maybe they didn't want to look bad to their supporters. They made a political calculation. And they even told me and several other people who were trying to contact them that like we would edit them bad yeah and it's like well is that it a makes reason sense, to not give an yeah. interview like though i mean it's just like yeah. crazy because it's like now you know people are giving me shit being like he didn't interview anyone from the opposition like it's not that i didn't try like we absolutely yeah. tried several times so so yes um we were there completely on our own accord and and doing exactly what we wanted to. And we also had two independent cameramen that we had hired, freelance, mm-hmm. who were Venezuelan. And so they just knew everything. They were like, yeah, they're like, there's a, there's a protest going on tonight. Like, let's go. Like, they just like had the inner circle of like all the shit that was going down on the DL. Because these people don't announce their actions until like the day of. Because they want to, you know, surprise National Guard and and not have huge planned like blockades and stuff of their marches so they they will announce them on a moment's notice and so these people really were plugged in 
to both the pro-government and opposition side so they knew everything that was going on. So it's, it's no one can tell me that I had a vetted experience. No one can tell me that I had a, a tour. It's not like North Korea where you're actually like, you know, never allowed to go outside. It's like we did whatever the hell we wanted. I Like I said, I went into malls. I went into 10 supermarkets. What did your driver... To tons uh, of people on the street. Did your driver ever like get afraid of going to any certain places? You could tell once it became... The whole city shuts down at, at night. It's like mm-hmm. extremely hard to find any even restaurants open past nine. No, it's like a self-imposed curfew because the crime has gotten so bad. Oh, people just don't are afraid they to go, don't go out. Interesting. Yeah, and when we we went out to a couple bars, and it's like you just go under the bar, and like it's like a secure parking garage, like with guards. But it's so heavily divided that it's like you have to go to like a shot, like a pro Chavez area and bar. If you want to be safe, because it's like it's like fucking gangs. So like, the country is almost on the brink of like civil war. It is a hundred percent on the brink that's of really civil war. That's really sad. It is a hundred percent on the brink of Damn. civil war. Well, I guess that's a. I mean, at least we'll know here if things get bad enough. Like we'll know what, what things will happen before actual civil war. Right. So if there's bar like if there's bars you can only go to like that are pro Trump or anti Trump in the future. Isn't that here, crazy? Yeah. Get ready. <laughs> And let's, and you know, I, one of the most disturbing things, Robbie, before I went there, you showed me this video um, and you were like, it's looking like Turkey. And it showed this crazy video of this truck that oh, looked like Egypt. a police, or I'm sorry, Egypt. Yeah, because it, yeah. of the, of the um, yeah, it was a, a basically a police armored vehicle running over like three or four protesters. And I was like, oh shit. And I wasn't like, you know, the government's killing a bunch of people there. I was more just worried about your safety. Like covering, but then yeah, tell me what you what yeah, you found. Yeah, and I found the full video. I found was like f- ten masked protesters running up with Molotov cocktails and like trying to re- forcibly remove the driver and throwing Molotov cocktails inside of the vehicle. Yeah, inside of the vehicle. And so I don't know if he maybe couldn't see or if at that point he actually was bloodlusted and being like, "I'm gonna fucking run you over." It's or hard just to try to get out of there. I mean, yeah. Either way. It wasn't like the stuff in Egypt that I saw right. was way more brutal. Like, a pre- I mean, it was like cold blooded murder. Like right. there'd be just like a secure, like an Egyptian security van driving on the street. And then all of a sudden it just mowed down like 20 protesters right, right, right. for no reason. This literally looked like the, they were actually r- afraid for their own lives. There's not really an excuse for it right. even still, but it's like, it's way, I mean, like the context was obviously deliberately omitted to show it. And then like there and then protesters are actually burning people alive and stuff but yeah and so i so before i went i kept hearing you know this death tolls like all these innocent people are getting gunned down these unarmed protesters gunned down i was just like this is nuts we're gonna find out what's going on you know i kept hearing this this claim of dozens killed dozens killed telesor had released this list breaking down the deaths um and half of them were like people dying from like escaping barricades like getting in car accidents um looting there was eight people who died looting a bakery and getting electrocuted like they electrocuted themselves looting a fucking bakery and those deaths were included like mindlessly regurgitated by mass media as part of this massacre well yeah i saw the headlines coming in here of that like weeks before you went and it was like first it made it seem like the government killed the protesters and then when the story finally came out in the western press here that they were electrocuted it was like venezuelan government claims 
that this happened so it was like another it was like another form of spin like oh actually this is probably a lie but we're gonna like show you how ridiculous venezuelan government's being like they're claiming the protesters electrocuted themselves what that is so crazy yeah even though like it doesn't make sense even if like let's say that the venezuelan government was lying like then what does that even mean that the government Venezuelan government electrocuted them? Like how? Right, right. It makes no like, like obviously it was prods? some kind of accident. <laughs> yeah, you can't even electrocute someone with a cattle prod. Like right. So it was obviously some kind of accident, but it was just funny the way they were still spinning that. And 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 the photos you keep seeing these montages of like tear gas and like don't get me wrong, I was next to Scott Olson when he got hit with the tear gas canister. He has permanent brain damage. Tear gas canisters are no fucking joke. Rubber bullets are no fucking joke. They kill. That's why they call them less than lethal. Yeah. Like they, it's not like they don't could, kill people. You could go blind. I mean, several people have died. Yeah, undeniably, no one is denying the fact that they have used lethal force. No one's denying that. Yeah. Um. Several but not people, like you lethal f- force in the sense that they're like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're not. They're not. It's not like they're shooting no. groups protests. You know. No, they're using with, the same tactics ammunition. that U.S. police do. Mm-hmm tear gas and rubber bullets yeah so i kept seeing these photos like going around also of like protesters on fire did you see that and it, but it's like obvious it's like making it seem like the government like burnt like threw s- some big firebomb on like protesters and it's like clearly this makes no sense in isolation like this photo of a guy on fire and that was before the chavista was burned yeah. alive. this is like some protester in a mask and al jazeera is like promoting it being like this is how crazy the protesters got it's like this guy set obviously set himself on fire he like didn't know how to properly make a molotov cocktail and set himself on fucking fire and there's a video how is this of like a too. heroic goddamn image the, and they edited or they took out the context <laughs> of that too because there's a whole video showing him about to throw the molotov cocktail and it like spilling all over himself and catching himself on fire that was the motorcycle one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And they made it seem like, uh, yeah, like the police had blown up his motorcycle or something. <laughs> I mean, it's so, yeah, it's just like obvious manipulation. It really makes you wonder who, like, why would an American journalist do that? Are they just handed something by like a contact they have in the government? Be like, look at this. Like, I mean, I just don't understand That's why it's such obvious saying. propaganda. That's what I kept saying. Why? It's so one-sided. And so, and so f- my main objective is like, I absolutely, because I already knew that we were going to get denied. I could tell already that like the opposition leaders weren't going to give us interviews. I was like, well, we have to go not only talk to Venezuelans, obviously man on the streets. We got to go to protests, peaceful and these garimbas. I didn't realize that the guarimbas really defined what's going on and has for some time that this is an extremely precise tactic that the opposition uses and they use each other in this kind of theater of cruelty not even half the the list though have been killed by state forces it's really crazy to say but when you look at the breakdown and we have a breakdown here and we, we verified it we spent two days verifying all the deaths and looking at autopsies well over half of them i'd say 60 percent are either directly or indirectly caused by opposition protesters either assassinations um, the opposition barricades that they create, which is the Los Guarimbas, and they burn them, and cars are frantically trying to escape them, and they either fall off freeways or run people over or, or die somehow, get lit on fire. Or there's several instances where everyone from the Daily Mail, the Guardian, just mindlessly repeat the claim that security forces have killed someone, right? Uh-huh. So this is repeated, and then when the autopsy com- comes out, they realize that it's a homemade projectile. It's horrifying. Because it could have easily happened to us. I mean, we were right on the front lines of this shit. We could have easily gotten killed several times, either by a tear gas canister or by these homemade projectiles. What is a homemade projectile? A lead ball. 
um, that that they either use with slingshots or homemade guns. And you can see Telesaur has like, you know, they, they obviously police have seized some of these weapons and you can see the way that they're made. And so the first protest we went to was um, a giant like march during the day. Um, which was really great. It was peaceful. I didn't feel like I was threatened at all. Um, you know, there was like this one opposition leader like giving a speech and there was just like thousands of people gathered around kind of like you would see anywhere, you know, just just people who looked um, predominantly white, uh, middle to high class, more rich looking Venezuelans. And I'm saying this just because I, I literally spent weeks going to like the poorest neighborhoods that aren't run by Colombian right-wing paramilitary gangs and actually talking to like who are poor people living in barrios and shit who are black Mm -hmm. and very dark they look Indian like Chavez you know like a more like indigenous face there's a huge class war going on that's really what it comes down to is a class war this is like a civil war based on class so it was very obvious even just being in the crowd which doesn't negate their you know grievances of course like there's horrible things like they can't access certain things like you know the toilet paper thing it's like yeah of course there's grievances and 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 i was really wanting to get those and i talked to about 20 different people there um everyone had complaints from everything from um we can't get the medicine that we need to a guy saying i can't buy the cars that i want it was just like you know an array of different grievances some valid some a little bit hyperbolic um but but average people you know and that's and and i really wanted that that analysis and that spectrum so as the night goes on we hear about this like night of the torches like action um which which apparently this was supposed to turn into and so what we realize is that at every like peaceful action there's a counter action going on kind of similar to the anarchist black block here imagine if the antifa people here were hardcore fascists who murdered people carried out political assassinations burned down government buildings and and trump still didn't denounce them or say we like they still just like embrace (laughs) these people Uh who represent them who are provoking the fuck out of national guard and police i was fucking there on the ground i saw what these people do and you cannot call this an authoritarian repressive police state okay uh i live in the united states i know what happens to peaceful protesters here i've seen it um and i'm not denying like there there are thousands of people in the street peacefully protesting and this was happening like every weekend we were there like there was even one action that had like over a hundred thousand people in this one neighborhood that were protesting it was amazing wow at the same day there was a hundred, not a hundred, at least 25,000 people protesting for the government. So this counter demo of these protesters, and it's pitch black by that time, and the protesters were, um, were all, had taken over this area already. It was like a giant thoroughfare. And they'd already completely taken it over, had burned every like avenue, and were directing traffic. They were just like, taking over the streets and directing cars like away from it being like we're going to create a barricade here and so we followed them and i was trying to do a stand up there talking about what was going on and i've never been more scared in my life but like 10 dudes that look like masked israeli settlers like straight up like high feed motherfuckers ran up and we're like who the fuck do you work for they're like fucking like almost like jumped us it was just like the most scary (laughs) moment of my entire life i was just like if we say Telesaur, we are going to get fucking killed. And I was like, I'm an independent journalist working for Media Roots. I was like, I don't speak any Spanish. I was like, I'm here as an American journalist. Like, 
And it was just the most insane thing. They were just like, where's your fucking press passes? Like, it was so scary. It was like, we're going to get jumped and killed right now. Because, like, this is on the cusp of hearing already that Telesaur has been attacked. So they, but when they heard that I was an American journalist, they were like, good. They're like, good. They're like, do not film us. They're like, don't film anything we do until the government represses us. They're like, film what the government does to us. And I was like asking them also. I was interviewing them. I was like, what are your grievances? What is the tactic? What are you fucking doing? This guy was like holding like a piece of dynamite or something in his hand. (laughs) And I was like, what is the tactic? So we were following them. And because they told us, they're like, follow us and, and show this repression. So we're following them, following them down this, like onto a freeway. They literally took us onto a freeway as they're burning everything behind them dousing the street in gasoline, erupting in flames, throwing dumpsters of trash, blocking freeway entrances and overpasses where cars were hysterically, like frantically trying to spin around and get out of the way. No wonder people die so often like that. Like, mm-hmm. so immediately I was like, this is sketchy as fuck. And, um, and then we get to the edge where we see what the end result is, which is they had position themselves up in front of like a military base they said it was like an air force base or something they had pulled truck drivers out of cars out of their cars they stole two massive trucks and like dragged them to block each freeway lane holy shit and so not only is there like burning overpasses burning highway entrances and and exits these trucks had blocked the freeways now and then they just started throwing god knows what into the like air force base or whatever and it happened so quickly i just heard like (laughs) and i was like fuck like this is happening so fucking quickly and like this guy just grabbed me he was like fucking run and i was like i don't know if this is live ammunition or tear gas canisters but i'm gonna just fucking run for my life and i almost got like hit by a motorcycle i was like this is fucking insane (laughs) so we're running and i like smell the tear gas i was like i don't are these rubber bullets like i don't know what i'm what they're shooting at us or if that's even like opposition people like i had no idea what was going on i was just running for my life what was amazing though is we get up to the top of the freeway and all of them just ran for their life this one girl was there she's like where's your fucking balls she's like they sh- where'd you guys go it's like they all just ran at the first the first like instance of them throwing tear gas like hundreds of these protesters just ran away and retreated and so we're just standing there in the middle of them i'm like oh shit i was like should we wait to see like what the government's gonna do i was like the forces are coming toward us the protesters ran this way and as soon as i said that i just got like pelted with like 10 tear gas bombs like <laughs> I, felt, I was like blind for like 10 minutes. I was just Holy like shit. wandering around. I was like, I cannot fucking see. I was just like, it was so, it was way more intense than getting tear gas even at Occupy. It was really intense. So who was your, tra- so you had a translator yeah. with you during this too? Yeah. Who I don't want to say his name for safety, okay. but he's, but a, he, he's but, a friend that, that I hired okay. there. Yeah. And then was this the only other person with you that was like part of your- Other than Mike and yeah. the cameraman, yeah. Damn. So and you got some of this on on tape. All, all of it's on film. Holy shit! All of it's on film, and so I'm we're That's so, so badly tear gas I could not see at all. And all these protesters came up again, seeing that I was like tear gas and like wanted mm-hmm. to help me, you know. And so a lot of protesters did help me. So anyway, finally get out of the situation. As we're leaving, we see another truck pulled, like blocking this other road, and all these dudes just sitting on top of it. And I was just like, man, like <laughs> this is absolutely insane. So that night. So they're literally carjacking 18-wheelers and, like, using them to blockade the freeway. Can you imagine if, like, someone did that here? And taking, but they they also, like, have 
kidnap bus drivers and like burn state buses and stuff and they even told when we were there they were planning some huge national strike and they were like we will like if any state like anyone working for the state bus drivers stores like be warned like because it means you're like a collaborator Mm -hmm. it's like if you're just running your fucking business or trying to do your job so that rude awakening of what a guarimba really is made me realize okay it's not that the government is suppressing like there of course there are thousands tens of thousands even over a hundred thousand peaceful people who do these marches right and do these actions but they are accompanied every time and way more so like these people are doing gurimbas every day and every night in different areas of the city and they do it intentionally and it's a sustained blockade that disrupts everyone living in the entire city to provoke this kind of reaction and, and it's almost like a sacrifice. It's like, you look at this footage and it's like, dude, these people, and they're all like decked out in the shields and they have tear gas masks, which is actually really expensive. Like it's, it's hard to mm-hmm. get like helmets and shit. And we saw the green helmets. We saw like a contingent of green helmet people, just like the white helmets. And I interviewed them too. I was like, who funds you? They're like, no one. We're an independent group of medics. And Mike was just like, those our helmets are Kevlar. He's like, those are not, Mm-hmm. like accessible in venezuela you can just like buy like high-grade military equipment yeah well it's like it's remember how like going through all the footage of the ukraine protests in Euromaidan, like when everybody started to get really aggressive and all the burning tires started and yeah shit, like they're wearing like matching yeah. riot gear yeah. outfits they all have pull it's almost like someone literally came in with a bus and a shipping container filled with poles shields and masks and handed them out to like all the protesters I mean, like, there's no doubt in my mind that some, that somehow happened. Oh, that was obvious. Yeah. There. yeah. But it's like, I don't know who did it, you know. And they were, like, like beating the shit out of, like, Ukrainian, like, National Guard. Oh, yeah. There's, like, like, you can, there's mobs, videos, like, there's the hundreds of videos of people getting beaten to death by right. just people with poles and. Right. And then even, like, the amount of rocks. Like, it literally right. seems like people were shipping in, like, but, like, sh- like, containers full of, like, boulders, like. I don't yeah. know. It's, it's it's nuts. I know. I hate to demonize rocks because of like what Palestinians are left with, but like, yeah, the rock thing was really intense here too. So you you saw like a lot of rocks. They were collecting around? rocks the entire time we were yeah. like, walking with them. Crazy. And so after seeing that, I I realized that this is this is the tactic. This is where the deaths are occurring. It's yeah. On the front lines of these like quote garimbas, which are the blockades, which. Yeah, a lot of people are dying on both sides. It's tear gas canisters have smashed people in the face and they've died. The homemade projectiles, um, rubber bullets have killed people. And the Guarimbas themselves indirectly have killed several people trying to escape them. And when you want to look at the nature of the opposition, if you're talking about Ukraine and this kind of neo-Nazi current running through that opposition, it's the same thing, Robbie. I mean, I didn't even really realize it until I got... um, lynch mobs incited against me upon return but while we were there we saw um videos of people getting set on fire yeah for being quote infiltrators into the opposition yeah could have easily happened to us yeah easily and it it was i saw a video of a guy who was accused of being a chavista who was black yeah and he was like the only black guy like in the whole protest they set on fire yep and then they yeah. interviewed him later in the hospital he's like barely alive i mean it's the saddest thing he's like it's he's like you know with his arms and legs mm-hmm. raised like covered in casts and they asked him what happened and he said they said hey black man are you a chavismo are you a chavista 
and they fucking threw a Molotov cocktail on him. So then not, not only was it racially motivated, it was also very politically motivated. Yeah. Like, so that happened, and that's not the first time. I mean, this is the third person that they've lynched of an Afro-Venezuelan descent. Um, they also beat to death a National Guardsman at a funeral of some other guy who did get killed by police. This is some National Guardsman who was retired, who was just off on another street mm-hmm. taking photos of something, and they beat him to death in a lynch mob. This is happening all over the place, and it really boils down to the fascistic nature, not of the entire opposition, but what has defined the opposition. The violent right-wing fascism that is now what is the most prevalent force um, that is causing the violence, that is provoking the deaths, um, that are hysterically um, creating these lynch mobs, assassinating political assassinations. I mean, you look at this death list, Robbie, and no apologies for state forces who use um, force at all. But you look at this, this breakdown. There are several actual political assassinations where there's instances of the opposition protesters going and invading maternity clinics yeah, and like just assassinating like kids in like little commune areas they burned down where the house where chavez was born they burned down the housing minister building targeting specifically like these people and then and then to have this propaganda coup where you're able to actually use the poor of venezuela who overwhelmingly support the government believe me there's no people protesting in the barrios to use them as the reason why you're living in a dictatorship is is reprehensible it's really interesting because that's i mean the way the media represents it here is that it it's the poor people in venezuela who are protesting yeah right it's much more, I mean, it's obviously completely different than that, but it is just really interesting how one-sided and manipulated the media coverage is here above Venezuela. I mean, it's, I, I can't think of any other way, like comparison. I mean, there's not even any, like, I don't know. It's just different the way that it's covered compared to other countries. Robbie, this is the main reason why there's a lynch mob against me today because I dared to circulate this list trying to get facts. I was like, I please help me debunk this. Like, if, if it is true that this many unarmed protesters have been murdered, can you help me debunk this list? Like, help me yeah. counter what you're calling regime propaganda, please. And instead of countering it or even attempting to counter it, it's, it's incited a fascist lynch mob against me calling for literally my lynching and i'm not just saying lynch mob hyperbolically like they use the word lynch and i have like 30 screenshots of people actually saying lynch her like a dog lynch her kill her burn her um that's the nature of 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 who these people are i I describe how that that happening how that got started you said an academic who lives in venezuela who's part of the opposition yeah made a made a crazy accusation about you because of just because of some photos yeah so so you know we're we're we were there we i my objective was to get the full story interview as many people as that i could as i already said really really get to the bottom of this i mean going through all the propaganda claims you know do they have a free press is it controlled by the state um are the supermarkets empty why you know is there no toilet paper i was like going through all the main things that you hear and cataloging them like yeah, taking photos of giant pro-government marches, like trying to counter everything that we hear in the U.S. in our news. I always, when I do interviews, I take photos with my interview subjects. I've always done that. And I interviewed this guy, Freddie Bernal, who was a close um, friend of Chavez. And he used to be like a police officer or something like during Chavez's reign. And now he runs the food, like a 
CLAP. It's like this food distribution program to barrios where they get like they can register for a little bag of like these, you know, flour, oil, like the basic amenities that are being hoarded or whatever commodities. And so he runs this food program. That's what I talked to him about. I talked to him about the food program, took a photo with him. Mike is a former occupying soldier of Iraq. He was in the invasion of Iraq. He likes he's he he's all about the Bolivarian revolution. He's an open socialist. He is coming from a little bit of a different place than I am. Mm -hmm. And he was very excited when we were in one of the malls and two of the mall security guards saw me and recognized me from the Empire Files because the Empire Files plays in Venezuela mm -hmm. like every day or something yeah. it, like runs. And they saw me and wanted to take a photo with me. And we we're like, oh my God, that's so cute. And Mike was all excited. He holds up his little fist. And I took a photo with Mike with these two security guards. And these were just two photos among many other ones documenting our trip and, and all this stuff. So, and you know, another photo was me interviewing people at the protests, like interviewing the protesters uh, at the Grohimbas, interviewing the, the, the green helmet people, et cetera. And so randomly, after we got home and made this little chart trying to actually engage with people, you know, the whole debate fascists, like we need an open debate and dialogue with these people. I was totally down. I was like, let's debate the death toll. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what the tactic is. Let's talk about the facts. And it was the reaction that we got was so fucking insane. This, this is what makes me think that it actually would be like a Pinochet style, like, like totally fucking murderous dictatorship is because the way that these people reacted to me simply saying can you debunk the list that we've compiled was to call for and this was lynching and fire and burning me with fire before even this guy said that we were spies so this was happening just when we were passing around this list and i was like this is so weird this vitriol just from like literally begging people to engage with me about mm -hmm. this and i wasn't even denying yeah of course security forces have killed people no one's denying that what i'm bringing up is that the opposition is also murdering people not just national guard going and assassinating chavistas lynching chavistas lynching mm -hmm. black people like to deny that is super disingenuous so all of a sudden robbie um you know we were kind of laughing it off and we we're like oh wow this is really crazy these people cannot debate anything it's like bizarre and worrisome all of a sudden we start getting just like the chris kyle thing this has happened to me several times before but this was really scary and if we were in the country we, we would have gotten killed like the, these i have no doubt that we would have been targeted for assassination if we were still there um every millisecond we were getting threats on all of our social media instagram facebook twitter all stemming from this one guy this random academic this is the guy who's still located in Venezuela. This is a guy located in Venezuela. Yeah. So this guy, he's a professor of political science at, at Simone Bolivar University and an opposition activist. Jose Vincente Carrasquero Amiarte. He just randomly tweeted a photo of Mike Preisner with the Bolivarian like, like security guards, uh -huh. you know, and the one of us with Freddie Bernal and the one of me interviewing protesters and said... These journalists are secret spies infiltrating protests to gather intelligence for the government. Life-threatening, blatantly false claim that literally, I can't stress enough, is life-threatening. Fucking, it's no joke. These people will bomb Telesaur if they could. Like, and to say that we were actually infiltrators when they burn alive infiltrators. Like, a direct incitement to kill us or harm us. 
So I immediately responded to him and it was getting viral. Like by the time uh. I saw it, I already had like 3,000 tweets and I responded to him. I was like, this is blatantly untrue. Like you're inciting a lynch mob against us. This is insane. Uh-huh. Then that was just one of many. And then it got completely viral. Did he respond? No. He just kept it up and it got like seven, 8,000 retweets. And then from there, like an Anon account, this other, like with millions of followers, another person. What do you mean an Anon account? Like, like a, a bunch of like, like V for Venez- Vendetta. Like v- yeah, V for Vendetta, like mask, like Venezuela opposition people who oh, are wow. like, were like revolutionaries. And it was like the Venezuelan flag colors on the Anon face. Holy and then shit. this one called VV Periodistas or something, like some opposition account that is not directly but pretty much indirectly funded direct like by the opposition it's like very well known that this is a collection of journalists who work for like major publications there that are opposition publications spread it as well um it got so viral that we were trending on twitter it was like a trending thing in venezuela like i got every single person that i met there like contacted me being like you're out of the country right like you need to get the fuck out of here right now um, it became a viral fake news story. I we I've never experienced it. It was like the Crimea thing was one thing, you know, where you become the center of like this manufactured mm-hmm. narrative because you're a pawn. But this was just like it was a completely invented story, kind of like the alt right does here, where it's like the the PizzaGate thing, mm-hmm. and it just took off based yeah. on nothing but a photograph. Wow. And um and you know and it shows you okay wow I guess I guess we really don't have a free press there if you cannot counter fake news like what the hell is going on and it was just every second people threatening to lynch and burn us alive um which really just reveals i think the true nature of who the opposition is i mean i'm not saying all these twitter accounts are real but the fact that even like prominent journalists were saying this and also saying like um like like let's give them a warm venezuelan welcome like saying stuff like this like actual incitement to violence from academics and journalists who are not members of like the elected opposition, but opposition figures. So it was just extremely um, obvious that these were like inciting to like either kill or hurt us because these people, that's what they do. If they didn't do that, it would be a different story, but we know what they do. We've seen videos and, and a lot of people were like, do to them what we do to other infiltrators, burn them. Like I have screenshots of all these. So, um, that's it in a nutshell. Um, it's just really, really shocking that this happened and it happened so quickly. And I am absolutely stunned that, um, that we were the target of this hateful campaign, this disinformation campaign before any reports even came out. Like, mm-hmm. I haven't even produced a report. And I'm getting told by even leftists who are like, I used to like the Empire Files, but like, what you're doing isn't journalism. I'm like, what am I doing? I haven't produced a report yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, even if it's a small one, is an obvious kept propaganda campaign being weaponized against you. Yeah. And, I mean, it might be coming from the Venezuelan opposition, or it might not be, but, I mean... um yeah, Again, they don't denounce it ever. That's the thing. It's like it would mean way more if the opposition leaders who are elected say, we absolutely decry and denounce this violence and threats. Like even the communications minister had to come out and issue a statement saying we denounce these threats against like journalists. Like it's, I mean, it's nuts. It's like at least come out and say we don't agree with this. It's like just this absence, this silence, you know, that really proves that they are complicit in this whole operation. Not not this specific operation, but this the operation of cultivating this like theater, this propaganda campaign yeah. for the outside world. 
Yeah, it's really. I mean, it's really weird how bad even like the left-leaning alternative media is here on Venezuela. I mean, there's just very, very little like re- good coverage about it I and mean, coming out. Yeah. I mean, like the only time Matt Taibbi wrote about it was to like criticize and like make, you know, Venezuela look like shit by talking about this Goldman Sachs thing. As if the opposition wouldn't have a fire sale to Goldman Sachs immediately when they get in. It's yeah. Like, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. So it's just weird that someone like him wouldn't touch this until that happened. And it's like, Oh, okay. You know, yeah. like it just shows a lack of education or just ignorance, you know, about the whole situation. Yeah. Um, but shit. So, I mean, what happened in between, I mean, how was your experience then meeting with government officials there? Cause you just described mostly what it was mm-hmm. like going to the protests and seeing all that crazy shit go down. But I mean, like what was the government like there? Like, um, one of the communicate. I'm sorry, the economics minister that I interviewed was really cool. He, we met him at this other community outside of Caracas. It was the only time we went outside of Caracas, and it really showed you how a lot of this is sustained just in Caracas, because mm-hmm. there's obviously more of a class stratification there and racial segregation. But in these other communities, it's like extremely kind of similarly to Cuba where they still have extremely participatory actions that are very heavily democratized that you would never see anywhere in the U.S. It's like insane. Like imagine town halls with like the entire neighborhood comes, Mm -hmm. you know, and like has like this big like referendum where they like vote on something. It's like we went to these assemblies where it was just like thousands of people from the neighborhood that came and were part of this big process. And I met this one woman who was like, I'm a mayor of this municipality. And she was like my age with like a nose piercing with like purple hair. And it was just like very average, like people who are, they just are all part of it. It's like they have direct participation in this giant process. It was absolutely fascinating. So that part was really great. Like the scariest person that I interviewed was Padrino, the guy who on the front page of the newspaper, the day before I interviewed him said, the blood is on his hands. And it showed him looking like Pinochet and like his general, like whatever mm-hmm. his outfit. Is he a Maduro so, general? He's right under Maduro. So he's the next in line. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so, so he's, he's a he's vice president, top. basically. There or- is a vice president, but he basically has more power. He's like the second in command for some reason where he's like, and, and that's, of course, they're like, he's the one who's directing all the violence and stuff. So the whole interview was me confronting him about the violence, what they're, what are they doing um, being charged with crimes against humanity, like all, like very hard questions, trying to see what he would say, because that's my job. So that I mean, the, the the experiences were great in terms of not having one person look over my shoulder or experiencing any sort of censorship or trying to restrict what I'm going to ask these people. Very high profile, very powerful government officials, and I'm sure if I did get a chance to interview Maduro, no one would ask what I'm going to ask either. Yeah. Which you cannot say for anyone in the U.S. government, that's for sure. But yeah, the experiences outside of that were incredible. I mean, going to the supermarket, seeing shelves packed to the brim with fish, vegetables, like I said, all paper products except toilet paper, right? Um, all Coca-Cola products that you could possibly imagine, all Nestle chocolates, like wine, beer. It was just like everything that you could possibly want. <laughs> uh-huh. 
except those basic staples that they use as like this crazy propaganda campaign. And I'm not even a, 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 try to explain like how complex the. I'm sure it's not just the fault of private importers. I'm sure it's very complicated, and I still am trying to understand how it works economically. Of like, you know, I'm like we were saying before. I mean, how much of that really is true? Like, how much is really all hoarded and uh-huh. and whatever to be used for manipulation? But but I mean, it, it is undeniable that that is fake. Like the thing, like the shelves are empty, mm-hmm. people are starving. The food riots, yeah. fake. It's a hundred percent fake. I mean, it's just like it's just like Mexico or Costa Rica. It's like any other country. There's fruit stands and vendors and people living their lives and ice cream vendors and what. <laughs> I mean, it's just like this is such a disservice to people actually living under a repressive totalitarian police state like Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Like, how fucking dare you tell Venezuelans that they're starving and and aren't able to wipe their own asses like it is a disgrace what we have painted this country and its citizens as and they're all like slaves who are unwitting unlike the people who are supporting the government have a gun to their head Mm -hmm. it's a disgrace and so you know the supermarkets totally full other than these things um public transportation up to the barrios i've never seen a a country with actually the poorest communities up on the mountains like you could see all these houses like compacted like little like makeshift tents not tent cities but like little like you know um copper houses and shit with tin roofs like all just packed on these mountaintops and before chavez before the bolivarian revolution chavez or these people didn't have any opportunity to like even get down to the city like they were just kind of contained up in these areas and chavez built this like um what's it called air rail what is it called when you have like a little like thing that takes you up in a sky rail gondola. right a gondola sky uh-huh. rail thing that's just virtually free uh-huh. so you can just go from barrio to barrio on these mountaintops with these free gondolas now because oh, wow, of that's really so that's cool. just another kind of thing that no one really talks about um where he really made it accessible where poor people can really be invested more in their community and mm-hmm. and participate more in society and then, of course, there was the experience of just talking to people in the street. I mean, it was absolutely fascinating. You could talk to one person who's screaming with all of their might about how Maduro's a dictator and Maduro's a fucking dictator! We're starving! And then you talk to the next person who's like, get the fuck out of my country, Trump! I'll die for Chavez! I'll die for the Bolivarian Revolution! It's like the most passionate people you <laughs> will ever meet on one side or another, and it's about <laughs> to fucking boil over, like... It is fire, but what's amazing, this one, I would ask everyone the same questions because I wanted to see their reaction. And the last question that I asked was, what is your message to Trump? What's your message to the U.S. who says you need us to save you? And I'd say 95% of everyone I talked to was just like, our message is we do not need you. Like even people who hated the government and were like, we live in a dictatorship. They're like, we don't need the U.S. Like Uh get the hell out of our country, you know? And when we were in these huge... um, auditoriums with like thousands and thousands of people who are going to support the government and be part of this crazy process the consciousness of imperialism was astounding it was like you know i'd hear these people who are just average members of the community giving these empowered speeches and and with fire in their voices and they're saying we reject imperialism it's like to even say the word imperialism to have consciousness of that meanwhile americans like don't even know what that means yeah it's like they've experienced it they've been ravaged by it they've yeah, been turned upside down they're fighting on the front lines to to keep their country together it's it was an incredible experience um 
I, I just, it's just nuts what's going on there and how disingenuous the media is. Going back to you saying, how could you lie? Like even CNN was there, right? Christine Amanpour, who, by the way, worked for Al Jazeera. So she worked for the Qatari dictatorship, but, mm-hmm. but I'm propaganda working for Telesaur. So she was there, but she was undercover. And she was like tweeting, being like, we have to go undercover here because it's too dangerous. That's odd. I never saw one security guard, one cop ever talk to us with a camera. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's insane to say. She probably was just like scared to leave her hotel, to be honest. So the only thing that she did was like go to a breadline. And like stand outside of the breadline and be like, "There's a we're in front of the breadline. These people are waiting in hours to get bread." What I was told, because I was like, "Why is it that people even wait in line?" I was like, "You can go to the store and just get like all this other food." And um, because flour or whatever to make bread is harder to come by, bread is only made once a day at your local bakery. There's like local bakeries in every neighborhood, and bread is made once a day. And you wait in line to get the bread if you want bread. But most people eat arepas and all this other stuff that they don't really use bread that much. So yeah, that, that's a breadline, but it's so disingenuous to pretend like that's normal. Like everyone waits in line to get whatever food they want. Yeah. It was like a completely manufactured thing. It was like, did you even talk to people in line and say like, what? It's like it straight up nuts. Cold War propaganda. I mean, but it really is. how can is. they do that and live with themselves? Like I, I went know. there saying like, I'm going to report what I see. I even, yeah. I was like, I'm going to report exactly what I see. If the government's killing people, I'm going to fucking report the government's killing people. Yeah. I don't care what Telesaur does to me. It's, they go there not reporting what they see. How is that possible? It's because they've been completely brainwashed by like American exceptionalism and just they like they actually buy into the propaganda. I mean, that that's the only explanation I could think of. I don't think Christine Anpour or whatever is being like told right. to run like a propaganda piece. Right. But it's like it's yeah, it's really, really surreal, though, to think just how automatic that is. Um. I, I mean, I, yeah, I can't really explain it. But yeah, it's totally straight up. I mean, it's also worth remembering that during the 80s Cold War against the Soviet Union, in the background the whole time, there was all this covert CIA shit happening in South America constantly. Right. All this guerrilla war- warfare we were funding. We were funding the overthrow of several different governments that were sometimes overlapping with each other. Nicaragua, um, Guatemala, um, in the 70s as well. I mean... So, yeah, it's interesting that it's like now we're sort of entering this new era of Cold War propaganda with Russia. And then now it's like now it's like bread lines, you know, on CNN in Venezuela. It's it is really eerie how it just reverts back to like an old script in a weird way. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it's shocking, Robbie. And um, I know that people who follow me will know that I will never sacrifice my journalistic integrity for anyone, any state, any dollar. Like I'm not that person. I will put my, I've put my life on the line to actually get what is the truth here. So that's what's so disturbing is these people calling me an infiltrator and a spy and being like, you deserve to be lynched because you were here. It's like, I'm here to try to talk to you. I'm here to get your perspective. It's hard. I I just hope that people listening and, and, you know, the reports that we put out, I hope that people understand like what, you know, that our integrity is very strong. Like Telesaur simply buys our show. That's what the, we could easily be completely independent. Like I, any day we, I I could have gone just as an independent journalist and I would not report one thing differently than what I, what I'm going to with this series. So, and, and, you know, it's just the same script, Robbie, I get back and 
at first trying to argue with these people and hear and and tell them and I just came from there they would be like come to Venezuela and see if it with your own eyes I was like I just spent three weeks there and then they'd be like okay well da, 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 the government's murdering people I'm like well what about this list and then they'd be like okay then try to live here on minimum wage and I'm like you can't live in the U.S. on minimum wage literally you actually cannot live in any state and rent an apartment that is like a study that's been done several times so if that's what it all boils down to that's not very like a good grievance to have intervention <laughs> and also you guys aren't living on the minimum wage the people who are living on the minimum wage aren't protesting again i don't know how many times i have to like iterate this like it's just this whole and then they they say like 90 percent of the country wants them out it's like well then wait for the elections and we'll see participate yeah. in the democracy that you that you claim to want i mean i think chavez really really pissed off the united states even on like a personal level yeah he was calling bush remember he said the sulfur was here he smells the sulfur i mean and even the shit he was touching with 9-11 truth oh, like yeah. chavez really was trying to rattle the united states by like bringing over william rodriguez william and stuff. Rodriguez, i mean cindy sheehan he hosted it's really interesting when you think about it on that level because it, it's kind of like there is sort of an underlying not information war but like an intelligence agency like there really is like there are people in the intelligence agencies and who are part of this like coup making cia shit who when another nation does something like that you know embraces like a you know conspiracy theory whatever you want to call it that's that damaging to the united states image it's like deeply insulting i mean i'm like i mean like oh, yeah. look at what it's like humiliating yeah. the core. For and like to think like that, that for the, the amount of years that people like Victoria Newland and others were saying that Russia today was this tiny little network that had no impact, you know damn well that behind the scenes there were people in the intelligence agency and State Department who were fucking pissed that Russia today was getting away with what they were getting away with on TV, being broadcast to millions. They were fucking deeply pissed off. And, were, and they didn't know what to do about it at first. You know, I mean, I, I think that that has to be acknowledged that like there is sort of an underlying Chavez insulted, you know, I mean, and, and he didn't, I mean, he just said truths, a lot of truths about George W. Bush, you know, so like. And think about what he propelled in the region. He probably yeah. like catapulted like Evo Morales, like yeah. Uruguay. We treat Venezuela the same way we treat like Iran in some right. ways even worse. So that has to be like examined. It's not, it's like, so why is that? It's because fucking Chavez started a ball rolling on like very deep impactful like anti-american for the right reasons rhetoric to the rest of his people i mean that i think that plays a huge role in this it's not it's like that combined with the fact that they're not playing the capitalist game completely it's like a double whammy to people here and they'll never forgive it like until that government goes down i mean that's the sad part like right. we are so fucking determined right. to make everybody on the same page as us that they're going to have to, con something's going to have to give eventually, you know? And the opposition is frothing Trump, at the mouth right now because they can see the power that yeah, they can I mean, get. Trump is not making too many moves on Venezuela, but like he's not going to help reverse the flow of like that pressure against them. You know, I no, mean, he's even meeting with opposition leaders. He's met with them like three oh, times already. Oh, and Marco shit. Rubio already introduced a bill to give $10 million dollars to the opposition oh great yeah. little neocon south american stooge little cuban rat yeah well trump just annou just announced he's going to try to reverse cuban uh relations normalization or whatever so i mean so i guess there's really i mean there's really no <laughs> hope for any of these things to like i mean these grudges really to go away 
Call them grudges. Call them demolishing the, the last vestiges of some semi-autonomy. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, and it's funny how when people talk about globalism, all these like right-wingers yeah. and, and libertarians obsessed with globalism and globalists, why don't they ever like defend countries like Venezuela or Cuba who are like literally in some <laughs> ways like the most doubling down against globalism like any countries on the planet? That's Especially the trick. Cuba. That's the trick, Robbie. It's so funny. It's That's like the trick. this country Cuba is literally like against all odds, like maintained itself, like closed off from the rest of the world. Yet all the people who talk about how awful globalism is think Cuba is a communist dictatorship that just destroys its own people on a daily basis. And they have zero sympathy or interest to even understand it. It's so fascinating. Because capitalism is their God. They can't see that capitalism may be the biggest threat of all, the biggest system of control of all. You know, yeah. They can't even comprehend it. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's the government. It is really fascinating how people think that you can be like, I mean, the idea of even economic nationalism in terms of the United States is incompatible. We spawned the whole concept of like international major conglomerate corporations those didn't those came mostly out of american you know entrepreneurial yeah. uh, like capitalist values so to somehow act like america can even like even if you believed in economic nationalism like it's not it doesn't even make sense like we'd literally have to like reverse like 300 years of history like we've always been an internationalist capitalist system i mean like it it's it's just so bizarre how that's even a thing i mean and yeah i mean like and it does sort of it is the underpinning for all this sort of right-wing phony anti-interventionist rhetoric because yeah. it doesn't come down to morality for them that's why this sort of i mean yeah there's just no it's all about making sure we take care of our own country and we don't spend any money over there it's like not about the moral factor at all um and similarly to Cuba, it's the same hysterical rhetoric, like, oh, it's totally controlled by the state, like, you can't have freedom of press, political opponents are jailed, really, it's all bullshit, Robbie, like, we went all over the city and bought every newspaper that I could find, and, like, 70% were clear, op like, not only opposition papers, but, like, almost venturing on, like, libel. Yeah. Because it's like, think about this comparison. If like all the black people that are gunned down, unarmed, can you imagine the front page of the New York Times saying like, Trump kills 45 black men? I mean, that's insane. In the month yeah. of January. And that's what these Venezuelan newspapers had about Yeah, they Maduro. said they had Maduro with like 45 Holy killed. Holy shit, that's crazy. And I was just like, that's like saying Trump killed all the black people assassinated by police. Not assassinated, but like killed. It's just nuts. That's really fascinating. So it was like beyond, and, and also opposition channels. It's the same kind of thing on TV where I think it's about 60-40. People claim it's 80-20. I don't, I don't know. I've heard different things. But, but the majority is opposition, private ownership of press. But on TV, one opposition channel was shut down their permit was never renewed because they were on tv saying assassinate maduro like every day they were like assassinate the president assassinate the president <laughs> can you imagine like fox news being like kill trump kill be trump amazing and then still being allowed to be on air holy shit. and then like in the midst of all this other stuff were these coup attempts like there's like you know foiling like these crazy terrorist plots like bomb all these government buildings and stuff mm -hmm. it's just outrageous so 
that's Venezuela in a nutshell. Um, sorry if people listening to this, it's not what you wanted to hear or you expected something differently, but that is my reality that cannot be refuted. Um, I'm open, you know, I'm definitely open to, to evidence if someone is hearing this and they have problems with like the death toll thing, like totally, please send me information. I want the most accurate information possible. That is a necessity for my report. So please, um, I welcome any dispute to the facts that I put out so far. I encourage it very much. Please don't incite a lynch mob against me for asking that. Uh, I ask for just respectful rebuking of anything that I've put out. Um, and uh, yeah. And we'll put out our reports really, really soon. Hopefully within the next two weeks, we'll, we'll have our first one out. It's just interesting. I have like a, an entirely new level of respect for these journalists now. Like leaving and knowing that they are actually facing death. Like they are going to, they go to these protests and they are every day putting their lives on the line to get the truth. And they are faced with this kind of vitriol and it's, I, I just commend them. And I am so sorry if anything that I've done is like put their lives in danger even more than they already are. But I have nothing but respect for them and it's a complete tragedy how the world views the situation and what the reality really is and i hope that my reports can shed a little bit of light on on what's going on and why the it's hard to believe that the propaganda could be that strong like it's still hard to believe no i'm just saddened by how unlike all these other situations where you even have controlled opposition pushback from like the alt-right and the right-wing sector like on syria and overthrowing Assad, there's just nothing for Venezuela. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, it's a void of people just only criticizing it or throwing shade at it or making fun of it. I mean, it's, it is really sad. Um, so I'm really glad you did this and I can't wait to see your reports. I mean, it's really important. I mean, this in a way might be the most important thing you've ever done because there's just so little coverage about it. You know from an honest perspective so if only poor people in venezuela had twitter yeah they could be voiced and taken more seriously i mean seriously that i mean it's they don't have twitter like a, the, yeah poor. i mean that's the thing you're only <laughs> hearing if people are tweeting that even has to be remembered during the arab spring there are more affluent people have access right. to twitter and the internet than the average citizen so you know don't don't always believe what you see online i mean I get I get myself into pits of depression sometimes just thinking that a certain trend online or something is like it's sometimes all I can see and then I'm just like damn this is not necessarily reality you know but um yeah exactly yeah and and again just whenever a country is put in the crosshairs of of all news and the US government you have to ask yourself why because Several countries, dozens, are suffering tremendously from famine. Look at Yemen. A, a child dies every 10 minutes in Yemen because of directly by U.S. actions. So, you know, it, it, don't get sucked up. Ask yourself why. Be a critical thinker. Be media literate. Understand why these stories are being put out, what the agenda is behind them. And try not to pile on just to say that you did it, you know. It's just not not worth it right now. We need to really stand in solidarity um, against what the U.S. empire is doing and how Trump is going to exacerbate the criminal empire 
already we just were seen in Cuba and Venezuela and it's just a nightmare and Rex Tillerson is now openly you know talking about another regime change in Venezuela so it's it's on the forefront right now and we have to stop it we have to prevent it because thousands will die thousands thanks for listening everyone sorry for ranting and raving it's been it's it's a heavy topic and a lot to go over and i hope i kind of sorted through a little bit of the the insanity um um much love thanks for all the support let us know what you think um and thanks so much for donating to patreon this is like like we've explained before it only takes it out of your account every time we release a podcast so it's not your money still being spent wisely and just a reminder on um, some of the underlying grudge I was talking about. Here's just we'll end it with some of the quotes that Chavez yeah. said about Bush and Tony Blair. Um, Hugo Chavez once said about George W. Bush, "You are a donkey, Mister Danger. You are a donkey, Mister George W. Bush. You are a coward, a killer, a perpetrator of genocide, an alcoholic, a drunk, a liar, an immoral person, Mister Danger. You are the worst, the worst of this planet, a psychologically sick man." And then what he said about Tony Blair um, was, you are an imperialist pawn who attempts to curry favor with Danger Bush Hitler, the number one mass murderer and assassin there is on the planet. Go straight to hell, Mr. Blair. I mean, this is some really awesome shit. And words are powerful. And you better believe it if you're a world leader who talks this way about the most powerful empire on the planet, the most powerful, you know, Western... (laughs) imperialist system on the planet you're going to get fucked with i mean you just don't see leaders doing that anymore oh no they're they're fucking afraid to so don't laugh when someone says oh the u.s hands off venezuela it's like yeah hands off venezuela yeah the fuck you think is going on you think they were joking around you think this is a joke (laughs) (laughs) like people are like oh it's always the u.s's fault it's like well first of all very much so yes and the majority of the time and second of all what are you are you blind? Like, what, do you, what do you think's going on? The opposition leaders meeting in Trump, they're giving him $10 million. Am I the only one seeing what's happening here? It's like, it's just nuts. These people just need to wake up. Yeah. Oh, all right. Peace out. We're, we're, we're getting out of here. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, and uh, please donate to Media Roots Radio on Patreon. Um, could really use your support. <laughs> be quiet and uh also please subscribe to us on itunes even if you don't listen to us on itunes and please give us a rating on there too um because it helps our 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 standing on itunes and spread around our podcast because people don't know that we exist and they like to listen to um you know people who like leftist podcasts and stuff we got to get our get the word out mate we got to get the word out that we exist and that we're cool yeah please um, build the real resistance here because man people are dropping like flies yeah please help spread around our our message and our podcast to your friends and relatives um it's free um you know you can choose to (laughs) to donate but it's free um to listen to so thanks for listening everybody and